Welcome to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. Uh, I'm Justin, and I'm joined by... Beth. Sam. And Caleb. So that's the four of us, and we are embarking on a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. You may have heard one of these before. They're a a fun thing to do. Uh, And uh, we decided we'd take a crack at it. Uh, So Beth and I uh, have read pretty much everything out there that Brandon Sanderson has has put out, at least in the the Cosmere. I don't know about about you, Beth, but I've been slacking off on some of the the non-Cosmere stuff. Yeah, I think... I'm behind on the Legion novels and, like, Skyward, Snapshot, that sort of thing. But Cosmere, I am as on top of as I mentally can be. (laughs) Uh, I've read all the books, but there's just so much content and questions out there that I am not uh, concerning myself with. I'm just having a good time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we decided to to drag some friends into this whole mess, uh, and Sam and, and Caleb were kind enough to decide that that was a a, a good idea yeah Diving or unwise enough the jury's still out but uh yeah i have a uh, you know just trying to read we'll more books how it goes and so decided uh here's an opportunity to read some chunky ones yeah so uh <laughs> there are some big boys these are yeah. some big boys so yeah we decided we would uh we would get started with Mistborn, the the first book in the original Mistborn trilogy, I think a lot of people agree it's one of the best places to start. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've started today with the prologue and chapters one and two of The Final Empire. So we've all given those a good read and we'll be progressing through chunks at a time and, and talking about how it's been and what we think is, is going to happen. So yeah. I already uh, know what's going to happen. Well, I, I would hope so. And if you haven't, then <laughs> you can refresh your memory. Fantastic. So yeah, we've uh, we've gotten started. We haven't gotten you know very far through the book. I think this is actually our smallest segment that we're going to end up doing word count wise. But uh, what's the the general mood so far around the table? I like it. I like it a lot. Um. Uh. Brandon Sanderson is not the best fantasy writer I've read in terms of his actual writing, but he's got a lot of uh, easy kind of lore establishment, which I appreciate. It's it's like it's second nature to him. So I'm just, you know, the in-media res thing going on, um, he, he does it really well. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to see what's on what's up next but first we got to talk about what we read obviously but mm-hmm. and yeah. i think that's that, that's something that that brandon himself will will tell you he he refers to his prose as transparent he wants it to kind of get out of the way and let the the plot and the the happenings do their thing so we'll we'll see how that goes there's there's certainly some places where he gets a little wordsmithy and it's it's a a fun thing to read but yeah, for the most part, we can we can see some some interesting worlds and some fun plot. What about you, Caleb? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it a lot as well. Um, I yeah, in that terms of like uh, kind of transparency, just writing very straightforward. Uh, this is a very nice change of pace from the other book I'm reading, which is a biography about a lady who lived in the Middle Ages. So 
Um, there's something very refreshing about just having there's the fluidity and the way just things just kind of keep moving. Um, the snappy dialogue and the way, yeah, the lore is just kind of like effortlessly placed into the narrative in a way that I think as someone who has tried to do creative writing on his own, I think you can easily get kind of into cringy fan fiction sounding territory if you try to like, ah, and here I'm going to insert this little world detail. It's going to explain everything. Um, I think it's very hard to do that without it sounding a little unnatural. And uh, that has not been a problem so far. It's been um, very cool to pick up on little details uh, and try to build this world in my mind of how everything connects to each other. Um, and the characters are really strong so far, too. Uh, I just have a really good um, idea of where everyone's headspace is at. Um, and the ones where I'm not sure, it's very intentional that I can't get a good read on them. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, this is... it's. Off to a real good start. <laughs> I really liked what y'all were saying about how accessible, I guess, his writing is, and just in terms of, of how, you know, there's not really too many bells and whistles as of yet. I, I Directly before this, I was reading Lord of the Rings, which is obviously a very good book, but is also a very dense book, and a lot of people find it hard to get through, and I'm an avid reader but was also struggling at points. And I forgot just how easy Brandon is to read. I just flew through those first chapters and was disappointed that we <laughs> set ourselves yeah. a boundary to stop. Yeah. And it's it's neat, I think. Um, I don't know if this is the same for you, Beth, but returning to Mistborn, uh, which was mm -hmm. not Brandon's first book. It was his second published book, uh, but it was the first one I read. Um, it was what got and me started almost on certainly the, the first one I read as a result. Right. Um, it's, and, and Brandon's books kind of build on each other, um, but it's it's neat to be kind of back at the start. And it's, it's like, yeah, yeah I, I remember these folks. This is, these are good folks. Yeah, it's like, it's comfort food. Yeah. And that's not Absolutely. to say that it's like simple or, or anything. We've got like plenty of fun stuff ahead, but it's, it's, it's really nice. Homecoming yeah. feeling. And you talking about, I don't want to open like too, too big of a can of worms here, but you talking about uh, Lord of the Rings, it reminds me, I, I am a huge lore freak uh, uh, in books. <laughs> uh, not so much in video games, but in books. When they're, when they're like establishing the world, I just, I love it. So my, uh, one of my friends suggested that I read The Silmarillion, uh, and that does that does not do lore as well as this does um it's it's like <laughs> it's like reading chocolate like a... pudding <laughs> that's it's just, quite a metaphor it's impossible to get through because there's like you know brandon sanderson just kind of flows with it and all of it comes out and as you're reading you can kind of fill in the gaps whereas um tolkien was very deliberate with this is exactly how my world is picture it exactly as i'm telling you mm-hmm you know, yeah, so the I, first I like like, two chapters are basically a history textbook on hobbits. <laughs> yeah. In the first chapter of this, a lot of murder happens. Yeah. So I think we can we can get started diving in on on what we read uh, for this episode. Um, but this is a fantasy book, which means we do have to start before the actual text starts. This book has maps. It's got maps. Yeah. Ooh. It's got maps. <laughs> It does. <laughs> I think 
um to to make another uh fantasy comparison uh if anyone has read the malazan book of the fallen series um which is is kind of famed for its its lore density and throwing you really in the deep end uh, i believe the first malazan book uh opens with something like three maps and then a four page long list of characters <laughs> um but yeah this this one we get uh we get two maps we get a map of the final empire uh and a map of the city of luthadel which i really like the uh, the map of luthadel especially i think is is a really cool design it's gorgeous yeah so uh just to double check do we have like a uh uh any language requirements in terms of uh oh this is content uh, i have not checked the box that says this is rated pg-13 swear away <laughs> okay cool yeah i'm a slut for a good map and uh these uh <laughs> Okay, now I'm going to have to keep in the tangent about what the yes. podcast is rated. Yeah. I was going to cut it, but now I need to keep it. <laughs> Don't yeah. dare. Um, yeah, uh, this is these are these are some really good maps, and I definitely spent probably more time looking at them than any other single page of the book so far. Um, <laughs> which is not a testament to how fast I read; it is a testament to uh, how much I wanted to look at the maps. Um, yeah, right away, like there's just an interesting. Um, there's just a there's just a lot to look at. Um, I love that. I don't know what the symbols mean, but I love that you have those like recurring symbols uh, mm-hmm. um, throughout. Um, and then, if I'm allowed to just like point out observations I've made, yeah, go for um, it. Yeah, so I I had a little bit of an idea of how um, some of the like powers in Mistborn works, and we have been introduced to a couple of them in the first couple of chapters. So I feel like this is fair game for me to point out. Um, but the gates of the city are uh, all named after metals, including the ones that we know can be burned. Um, oh. uh, we have uh, zinc, and I believe we've seen steel get burned. Tin, I forgot what I think. Tin, yes. tin gets burned. I think it was tin. Um, uh, so yeah, I just find that very interesting. That um, apparently, apparently, like the city itself, it appears to be connected to. Um, that aspect of the world in some way as well, which I think is really interesting. Uh, it seems weird to me that the the map of Luthadel, like it, I don't know if I pronounced that right. I hope I did. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, but the map of it, uh, you know, the gates are named after these elementic metals, and yet it seems like there's an adversarial relationship almost that that uh, the the powers that be have toward Alamancy. At least in chapter two it kind of pulls into that with Cayman and his trickery. Um but it's interesting. Maybe maybe we'll see maybe I will go, come to understand that it is much less adversarial than it made it seem, what with the steel mm-hmm. inquisitor. And- Mm-hmm. We also have, and yeah, the fact that there's steel Inquisitor specifically, I think is really interesting. But like, we also um, don't have a big sample size in terms of people who can use the metals. Um, I believe we're at two so far. Um, so there could be that there's like people in the government that are also able to do this. And I think it would be, I'm, I think it would be cool. And I'm honestly kind of hoping that we get to have some uh, burner on burner uh fight scenes i don't know what the term should be for characters who can do that yet i don't know if it's been established but allomancer maybe 
know. That is a word that has appeared. <laughs> I have my I have my own theory on what the term would be for someone who can use the magic, but that might be I have an unfair advantage from having a little bit of knowledge about the book. Uh, Justin has established a uh, catchphrase to use when predictions are made so that yes. nothing is given away. Would you like to deploy that for the first time, Justin? Yes. So uh, I don't think we've actually mentioned yet. Um, Beth and I are siblings, um, which is why I introduced the, the books to her. Uh, and so we would chat while reading these because normally I was a little bit ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, when, when Beth would pose a theory to me, um, whether it was eerily dead on or completely <laughs> off the wall uh, I would simply reply interesting with a period it so, was infuriating yes so so when when theorizing starts happening which it certainly will uh, that will definitely be uh, used at some point of uh, uh, interesting theories interesting uh, I, I do want to give a shout out though to one of the uh, one of some of the other folks out there doing these podcasts, um, the the folks over at Sander Lanch, uh, with Data, Joe, Dak, and Jamie, uh, Data has an extraordinary ability to argue for or against any theory that his friends have have put up, despite the fact that he knows exactly what the answer is. So, hmm. don't know if I'm that good. I'm just gonna say I don't want to risk it, so I'm I'm just gonna stick with interesting. Interesting. Yeah, you always run into you always run into scary territory when you uh, um, say any more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's so it's a good policy quick, to have. Yeah. Real quick before we move on from the maps and actually get to the text of the book, uh, some in-world and out-of-world info on this because I think it's neat. Uh, and for the outer yes. world info, I'm going to be relying heavily on something that Brandon did that I thought is really cool. Um, at least for for several of his older books, uh, when he was doing one of the copy edit passes, he wrote a set of annotations. They're almost like a director's commentary, uh, and then he put them up on his website, so you can you can read along and see notes that he gives on on various scenes about the editing process or what he was inspired by or things like that. Uh, so I'll be combing through those and and poking in with some things that are are relevant. Uh, and so th- these both of these maps were drawn by Isaac Stewart, uh, who at the time was just a friend of Brandon's uh, and is now his his full time art director. Um, and basically, Brandon said uh, th- they were in a writing group together. So Isaac had had read the books, um, but Brandon basically said, "Can you draw me some maps?" I don't really have any details. And this is what Isaac came back with, basically completely on his own. That's cool. That's a skill I simply do not possess. In World, on the other hand, uh, these are, and this is something that I I really do appreciate in fantasy books, these are in-world artifacts. These are maps that someone has actually drawn. Right. Um, And on the map of Luthadel, in the bottom corner, you see an, an annotation there uh, that says, since you insisted on having an updated version, here is the new map. I am not going back a third time, which is signed by a man named Naj. Yeah, I like that. Uh, who, looking very far ahead, we will meet Naj eventually. Um, but he he is a person in this world who, among other things, draws maps, and I like him. 
<laughs> I was I wanted to ask about that because most, if not all of us, are reading off of the same version. Yes, um, the four of us are. We do all have yeah. the the newest um, trade paperback, the one with with mm -hmm. Vin in the mist on the cover. Yes, and I'm not sure when this specific edition came out. I can't find it quickly, but this specific map is dated 2014. Was this little annotation always there, even from the first edition? I don't think Do it know? was. Um, I believe this map... I think this map was actually created for the 10th anniversary Leatherbound um, mm. because Isaac had done a, a significant art pass on that. Uh, and then they printed it in uh, fewer colors in this new paperback. Um, and I believe that actually is the reason for Naj's comment about having to have gone back for the map. That's what I was thinking, which I wanted to Oh, it's like a, it's like a meta commentary of mm -hmm. Isaac not wanting to draw another one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that Brandon included that. <laughs> like, yeah, go ahead and bitch at me about this. A another thing that I, I may be adding in, if I can actually find um, appropriate an appropriate way to sort them by who knows what, when, um, Brandon for a long time has been quite forthcoming with Q&A sessions when he does book signings or online or various things. Uh, and people will ask him very, very detailed questions about the world that he has built. Um, and sometimes he will answer them. Um, often he will deploy um, an answer of RAFO, uh, which stands for read and find out. Read and find uh, out. Which yeah. he, I believe, adopted from Robert Jordan, uh, who wrote The Wheel of Time. Um, which uh, Rafo means uh, in his, as he put it, you asked the right question at the wrong time. Um, oh, so I either, I, I haven't decided yet and I don't want to say something that will yet be proven wrong or I do know the answer and I definitely can't tell you yet. Um, but other things he'll just, he'll just tell you about, which is, is super cool. So some things that aren't actually in the text of the book, I'll probably bring up because the fan base didn't know them at the time. Before we move on from the map too much, I am also excited to meet Naj uh, because I have a couple of different, like consistently the type of characters I really like gravitate towards. Um, one is younger brother, older brother dynamics, which I'm told I may be getting a little bit of in this book as well. Uh, but uh, one I've recently discovered is... Um, Map makers specifically, I always tend to love map maker characters, which is a weird thing to specify. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a couple of different examples of uh, there just being a map maker character. I'm like, oh, I really love this guy. This is great. Number one, Tyriok from Critical Role fan in the house. Tyriok was the first one, who is an NPC who shows up for one session, and I fell in love with him. Uh, and then the second one was I was playing Hollow Knight, and there's a character in that who makes maps for you, and he is by far my favorite character in the entire game. Cornifer is, is so great. Cornifer is so good. Cornifer, yes. His name is Cornifer. His name is Cornifer, and he's a big bug mm -hmm. with a long nose, and he hums to himself. Yep. I'm beyond delighted. This has nothing to do with what we're discussing, but I'm delighted. <laughs> All right, well, uh, 20 minutes in here, I think we can probably get to the first actual text. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, reading a, we're reading a book for this. Uh, I think this is, this feels appropriate. Yeah, um, <laughs> and 
but we're still not starting with the actual story itself because we get this this pre-chapter text um which Brandon and and the fandom as a whole uh calls epigraphs uh which I think Brandon has acknowledged is not quite the right word for what he wants but it's what we all call them now so I will be calling them epigraphs and by that you mean the kind of quotation that is above prologue okay yeah, I was also, I was, I, I have, yes, we I have, have a... notes about that. Do tell. Okay, I will, I will save the specifics of my theorizing for later, but um, I think this is, this is just a really interesting um, uh, way to kind of open it up. Um, again, I won't go into my actual theories, but it seems like it is from a different perspective from any of the characters we've met so far. Um, uh, I, like, I suppose when you're first reading this, you could think this might be Kelsier. Um, speaking, but then by the time you get to uh, chapter one, it, you get a quote that really does not sound like Kelsier at all. Um, and um, yeah, I just find that very interesting that there seems to be this kind of entirely different narrative. It feels like a journal uh, of sorts. Um, and um, it's just a really interesting kind of through line that currently seems fairly unconnected um, that I, I'm very curious to see where it goes. I think this is when we get a, a bit more poetic, too, or at least waxing a little bit more philosophical, which I like. Well, and we're talking, you know, prophecy and, and whatnot. So, uh, you know, they say I will hold the future of the entire world on my arms. You know, in, in, in the text of the book, you're not going to see people talking like that. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting Right, well, and that's why I think that, that, like, it kind of has the vibes of a journal of this is someone who is like really putting all their inner poetic thoughts onto the page as opposed to the story proper which is we are getting their like in the moment reactions to everything happening we're getting their dialogue we're getting their immediate thoughts um which i think just is a lot different from how someone would write in a journal or writing something down that they know someone else is going to read so that's interesting and then finally we get into uh the book proper itself uh, where we learn very rapidly that uh, life in the final empire sucks. Not great. <laughs> Not good. Yeah, when your first proper text is ash fell from the sky, you're not exactly wishing for a summer home there, huh? Well, and then we move right from there into a a plantation where the the workers are being beaten. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Where trusting wants to beat a worker for, well, um, I don't know if I'm jumping too far, yeah, but no, for looking can... up and smiling. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, don't go out at night. You might disappear. The mist. The mists. Uh, mist is so, scary, y'all. Yeah. There's a. There's really not a. There, there's yeah. There's not a lot that's 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 great in this in this world in terms of actually living in it. Yeah, this is um, Brandon's first couple of of published books. He he mentioned that uh, in in the annotations, uh, his first book, uh, Elantris, is in some ways a zombie story. Uh, it's about uh, people who are magically undead. Um, and then you have Mistborn, uh, which one of its main pitches was looking at the world thousands of years after the the fabled hero failed so we have 
we we have this this tyrant that we're gradually learning about we have uh the sun is is red in the sky there's ash everywhere this this is not a pleasant place a world where the villain won the hero lost i guess i mean this <laughs> is detail that we uh, that like you said is from maybe a previous book or will be revealed later on but yeah but it sucks <laughs> It's not not great. Is now a good time to mention I have read the back of the book. Is that okay? That is <laughs> begrudgingly acceptable. And and they okay. do mention that on the back <laughs> that a a hero rose to save the world and failed. Oh, that's true. I, I have not read the back of the book. I didn't I didn't know if I would be spoiling anything for Sam, so I didn't want to say too much. No, yeah. Yeah, well, and that was that was one of Brandon's original um there there were a couple of ideas that kind of came together to make this this book. Um, and one of them, um, going back to to Lord of the Rings, uh, was something like, what if at the end of Return of the King, Frodo kept the ring? Or what if he got to the end and then Sauron just killed him and took it? Um, and then took his power from there and just kept going. Uh, and like the book that we're about to read, that's that's kind of just one seed that's part of it. But it, it is definitely part of this book's kind of DNA. Which is also why I think it's so smart that, like, it it's not a spoiler to say Vin is one of our, our if not the main protagonist, but we do not start what? with her. If, what? The one in the cover? Um, we no, don't no start way. with her, though. We meet, after that asshole, we meet Kelsier, who is the most optimistic person in this crapsack world. Yeah. And I think it's refreshing for as refreshing for the readers as it is for the people within the story you know you start with the post-apocalyptic red sun and ash and fucking mount doom i don't know um and then it's like and here's this guy who's still managing to smile and laugh through it all you you get one happy boy in there to make it a little (laughs) bit better and then we meet vin later (laughs) but (laughs) you've, you've got your happy boy for the interstitial our happy murderous boy. So yeah, we uh, we we do see we we move on to the evening and we see we we do kind of focus in now on a character. We meet Kelsier. Um, and now before we go any further, he, uh, how are we supposed to say his name? Yes. So we we briefly touched on this before we hit the record button. Um, Brandon has said that. Uh, he doesn't care how you pronounce the the characters in his books, um, which is good Hooray. because he pronounces them wrong. <laughs> um, You're right. You should say it. Well, no, he has said that too. Um, he he has said that in uh, different books of his have different kind of um, linguistic themes for for how the languages sound and whatnot. Uh, and the Final Empire is intended to be influenced a lot by French, uh, and so names would be pronounced you know, like Kelsier with the, the the silent R on the end and just the vowels running together. Um, but Brandon has said that he doesn't say that. He just says Kelsier. Fantastic news. I was yeah, worried I was we would saying... have to fight the author because Kelsier is uh, stupid. <laughs> I was going to say, I can get behind Kelsier if we have to, but I am not calling the lead character Vah. That's, that's not <laughs> happening. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that's a bridge too far for me. 
the uh, there there are <laughs> just a vague noise. <laughs> That's just how you pronounce French, though. You just kind of make vague noises. It's, it's actually pronounced. It's, <laughs> it's true. It's actually pronounced en ho ho vin. There are there are one I or two characters. Yeah, th- there are a couple of characters later who, um, the pronunciations clearly are more French. Um, but in their you know their words very clearly that even if we did pronounce them as Americans who rifle through other languages pockets and just take random vocabulary we still probably would pronounce them in a french way and so those do get the the more french french pronunciation okay cool i i didn't want to us to get too far before establishing that we will be bullying the french and not saying kelsier <laughs> perfect so yeah we we start to see what's uh what's going on with with kel um we mentioned that he he is he's the one who smiles he he very intentionally tries to do that um but he also has uh his arms are completely covered in scars uh i really this is a really cool description i i like the mm. way that uh that that this is that this is described and uh and people see this and and it means something to them right yeah, we get a little bit of. Yeah, I've only seen scars like that on one other person, and he was dead. Which is again this sort of casual lore dropping that Brandon does, where you have no idea exactly what it means, but you get that impact mm-hmm. right away. Uh, and we then learned that uh, Kelsier is a, a little bit more cavalier about the the state of the world than some others, as he threatens to just go walk out into the mists at night, which completely terrifies them. And uh, and then it turns out that he has uh, engaged in some thievery and uh, delivers a, a, a package of, of tasty food that he has stolen from uh, Lord Tresting, who deserved it. Yeah, I do love the moment of, uh, um, they're like, hey, you can't do that. What if someone finds it? And his response is just, all right, then destroy the evidence and eat the food already. <laughs> That's, that yeah, was a really that was great very moment. well put. Yeah, I, I appreciated that a lot. Yeah, well, there's one way to resolve this problem. And uh, so the the ska there, and speaking of, of pronunciations of things, when you're coming back to Mistborn for the you know the third or fourth time or whatever, um, describing the, the peasants as ska like, is just a thing that I've internalized. But I will briefly acknowledge that it is a little funny. Ska. Yeah, a little. Uh, by putting um, two A's in it, it puts a little distance between like my normal associations with the word ska. So right. it, it worked the, for me. It didn't seem too odd. These people do not have trumpets. Dang it, I was about to make a trumpet joke. <laughs> it would, The book may be improved by giving all of the ska trumpets. <laughs> Only time will tell. <laughs> um, I have a question that might have been answered by a single sentence that I skipped over somehow but um are the ska genotypically or phenotypically different from other people uh that will be a, an early rafo actually um i'm i'm impressed oh. well but for your mental image um these at least all appear to be people <laughs> you went a little dm voice there i like it i uh what seems to be people yes. are working the field <laughs> Um, you rolled a nine perception. Hmm. They yeah, they look like people. 
um, the the world that we are in, um, this planet is called Skadriel. That does not appear anywhere on the page, but it is a thing that is known. Skadriel is Earth, except when otherwise noted. It's not literally Earth in the way that, like, the Wheel of Time technically is set on Earth in the far past or future. Um, but, like, they have horses and oak trees and things like that. Um, and, and people who look like people. All right. Kelsey is starting to spread some trouble around. He's he's telling his stories of, of what's going on in the rest of the Empire, uh, which is not a thing that anyone else can really confirm or deny because they've lived here their whole life. He has a, a good chat with Goodman Menace, who is an, an elderly Ska. I, I think it says he's like 40-something. I think it says that somewhere. Oh God, is that it? Yeah, no, I don't remember that. He's not but... actually that old, but he is—he—he he is basically an old man here. And then, uh, shit, as they say, begins to happen suddenly. Yeah, there's a a, a scream, and we get our first uh, on-screen magic uh, with Kelsier burned tin. Uh, and there's not a lot of explanation as to this thus far, uh, but we do know that. Uh, Kelsier has has swallowed some metals. Um, they are in his stomach, uh, and he draws power from the tin. Uh, and now his his senses are immensely improved. He can he can see and hear, and even he says he can like feel the the grain on the floorboard. And he hears that uh, that it sucks in this world. And there's a a young woman who is being dragged off to the manor house, uh, and as as we heard earlier from from trusting conversing uh he's going to rape and kill her fun world to live in oh my goodness i really like how they describe him burning tin for the first time because when you think about that sort of like your senses are enhanced my brain at least autocorrects to like you see good and hear good right like you like zoom in yeah <laughs> enhance um <laughs> I really like those additional details that are like, yo, girl, you got five senses feeling the wood grain, like tasting remnants of, of the earlier bread. I thought that was quite fun. Yeah, I thought it was awesome until uh, I thought it was awesome until we got to most importantly, he could hear the screams with supernatural ears, because then my poor, poor brain uh, <laughs> could only think of. Uh, what else but the hit film Morbius? Morbius. <laughs> Morbius. And I, the uh, did you entire... see Morbius? <laughs> Caleb, sure what did. are you doing? Why yeah, you know what else? You choose to do that, Caleb. <laughs> you know what else? I bought tickets for our good friend Beth here as well. Oh man. Um. <laughs> oh my goodness. I thought we all agreed that we would just pretend that we had seen that movie in the world oh. as a as a globe. Oh, how I wish! <laughs> and he accidentally bought tickets to the really good theater, with like 4D sound and recliner seats, full morb experience. Full on Jared Leto. Mm-hmm. God bless him. It was almost as if we had supernaturally. <laughs> So, so back in this world where we don't have to <laughs> picture things that we don't want to, Kelsier just has really good hearing. 
Yeah, the thing is, like, um, the world of Mistborn sucks and everything sucks in it, but at least Kelsier can smile knowing that he never has to watch Morbius. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the burning of the tin, I do think, is legitimately, like, described really, really cool. It just gives you enough of a hint of how it works that, you know, it doesn't feel like you're getting overloaded with information. Um, and, like, just the question of, well, why does it work that way is still very much in question. Um, but it just does a really good job of, like, teaching you how the allomantic metals are generally going to work, um, which I think is just a really good way to kind of introduce the, the power set. Um, and uh, Kelsier then proceeds to uh, do some murders. Good for him. Yeah, we, um, uh, we, we cut then to the next morning because um, Kelsier goes off into the night to, to do some rescuing. Um, and the next morning, everybody's dead. Yeah, and that kind of, like, immediately tells you... So, like, I just very quick context. I run a D&D campaign. One of my players has a homebrew character who uses a Maceborn class. So, like, I have a kind of general understanding of sometimes how it works and what it does. It, like, gives you... If you burn tin, you get a plus one to, like, dex and strength and, like, perception checks and stuff. Um, here, it's unclear if Kelsier is just, like, that much of a badass in general. Or, in, in the book, Burning Tin really amps you up because yeah he just like full uh like burnt the whole thing to the ground which is just like such a uh you know it's such a turnaround from you're getting introduced to this world where it feels like there's this very set in status quo and then kelsey walks in and just decides oh no that manor is going to be destroyed and everyone who lives in it is going to be dead yeah we, um, we get so that just really kind of sets the tone for what he's capable of which is really cool we we get the description from from jess's daughter the the girl who was being dragged away earlier um all of them the soldiers the taskmasters the lords uh even lord trusting and his obligators kelsier has just killed them all and burned the place to the ground which is really an, an it's an interesting twist from like the the personality he was b building up or that Brandon Sanderson was, was kind of writing in almost um you know he's like oh hey everybody I'm I'm just like you I'm just you know here's some bread you know let's all rise up and you know the 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 kind of union drum mm -hmm. beating thing and then he goes and he kills everybody and burns down the right. manor. Like it's 20 like, people. Who yeah. is this guy? I love yeah. it. And and this is something that um, Caleb and Sam, you'll you'll take a look at as we go through this. And then Beth and I get to see on the reread of how good of a person is Kelsier. Because, I mean, that that's the two things that we've seen here. We've seen him, you know, rousing a, a band of, of misfits and also at least off screen, um, committing heinous acts of murder yeah and it's just this is a really good like where do you draw the line aspect of like clearly i i still see him as a a overall good guy at this point in the story um the people that he killed uh either were for sure super evil or were working underneath a very evil person and the people specifically the people he did kill seem to have been like you know, not slaves. They were actively working for good pay um, and willingly doing horrible things in the name of the Lord, uh, of Lord Tresting. Um, so like, uh, yeah, you know, burning down a house and killing every single person inside without question is generally something you see villains do. But in this context, it's like, I'm kind of happy he did it this time. But also like, if 
he does this every time he sees a problem, then like, yeah, that's, I don't know, that's a little, there's something unhinged about it as well. Um, which, yeah, I think is a really interesting um, way to introduce this, um, you know, main character who I assume I'm going to be cheering for to an extent, but there's, you know, from the outset, it's clear, oh, he goes all out when he, when he feels strongly about something, and that might not always be a good thing. Yep. And the fact the prologue starts w with the first person from trusting, or, yeah, trusting. That's right. Um, this is a guy. He's a shitty guy, but he's a guy, <laughs> and he he like has observations and right. This this is this things. is not you know like a a ring wraith or an orc or some primal force of evil. There's some invisible straw man either. Like it's a it's a right. guy. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the most interesting thing about him is like he has fears. He's stressed out about his place in the empire. Yeah. Like this is you know, the first couple of pages. You're like, ah, oh, here's like the big the big evil lord. And then two pages after that, you find out, oh no, he's kind of like lower tier and is like he's like a an evil middle manager. Yeah. Funny so like, enough, um, we'll maybe talk about this when we go to the casting. But uh, when I pictured him. Um, I pictured the guy from Office Space. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I don't know yeah. why, but Ron Livingston. There you go. So a couple more things that I want to, uh, to point out that we've, we've seen on the page before we leave the prologue, because this is kind of the, the end of the events here. Um, the, the Scott are trying to figure out what they're going to do and they resolve that Kelsier has kind of forced their hand. Uh, and they're going to to try to join up with some rebels that they may or may not know about. Um, but a couple other things that we've we've heard a little bit about. Um, Kelsier makes a, a mention when when we are seeing uh, the first bit of of Alamancy on the page. There's a a remark in his his inner monologue um, about. Uh, uh, because, well, he's thinking about the fact that Lord Tresting is going to kill this girl. Um, because otherwise there might be children um, who would be uh, half noble and half Ska. Uh, and they might have powers that Ska aren't supposed to know exist. Right. I think intriguing. That's... Beth, I will quit the podcast if you ever use the word intriguing instead of interesting again. I am leaving. <laughs> intriguing, of course, being the final word of the hit film Morbius. <laughs> I don't know if you're telling the truth or not, and I never <laughs> nope. will. Nope, that's that's correct. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to go ahead and start part one then. Please do. So we have part one, the survivor of Half Sin. Did we have that mentioned in the prologue? That's Kelsier, by the way. The word Hathsin has Great. was mentioned, but I don't know if there was confirmation that Kelsier is the survivor. So we start again with uh, with part one. We we get another epigraph, thereby confirming that this is a thing that will happen and wasn't just a prologue thing. Uh, and like we mentioned earlier, this is, at least it appears to be, um, a continuation of what we saw in the first epigraph. So we, we're going to have kind of two, two stories going here. Uh, and we get the line, uh, right. in the end, I'm the one with the armies is the, the attitude mm -hmm. of, of this person in the epigraphs. Which, mm. you know, take or leave that philosophy. That's just a fun line. 
I enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah, all this philosophizing and and am I a good man or not? Well, in the end, doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Which also tells you a lot about the person writing it. Um, yeah. I mean, the direct comparison is good, bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Mm-hmm. But a little more, a little fancier, a little bit, a little more lore sprinkled mm-hmm. in. Uh, and now we get uh, we get Vin, um, who we've My seen girl. a couple of character flips as we've gone through our. Uh, our our prologue and then into part one. Um, I was actually I was thinking, um, looking at the the early chapters of various books. Uh, Beth, did you realize that the first five chapters or pre chapters of the Way of Kings, uh, the first five chapters all start with either a time skip, a character skip, or both. <laughs> I did not. Yeah, you you get five different POVs in the first five chapters. It's ridiculous. That tracks. But but in this book, we are going to we're going to settle in pretty quickly. You know, we with prologue one and two, we've we've seen kind of we've seen Kelsier and we've seen Vin, uh, and these are going to be our uh, at at least at, at first these are going to be who we're going to be taking a look with as we go through this book. I like Vin, like just. She's great. Simple as that. A bit of a different life than Kelsier. <laughs> yeah. I will say, before we get to Vin, we actually get the first sentence of the chapter, which is, once more, yes. Ash fell from the sky, yes. which I thought was a very interesting way of just showing, like, how constant this, I guess, weather, you would say, uh, how constant <laughs> this, like, state of the world is, um, that here, um, in a completely different segment of this world, um, back in the city, uh, Vin is still dealing with the exact mm-hmm. same phenomenon. Oh my god, it's literally the exact same five words. Yep. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yep. And I actually, I couldn't remember, uh, because I, I always associate those words with the start of the book, um, and I couldn't remember if they were the start of the prologue or if they were the start of chapter one. And it turns out they're both. <laughs> yes. Which, which I like. Um, but yeah, we, we meet Vin. Uh, she is a, uh, a young girl and is a, a thief in the city of Luthadel. Uh, and she is not in a good place in her life. No. She's having a bad time. She's also one of yeah. my favorite character archetypes, which is debilitatingly paranoid. <laughs> to be fair, paranoid generally implies that you are, like, unreasonably suspicious of other people. Sure. I feel like Vin... In terms of the life she has lived, is very justified in not really trusting anyone from what we've seen so far. In chapter two, she well, we'll talk about it <laughs> with Gaiman. Yeah, like she uh, she didn't expect that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like it's you're not paranoid enough. <laughs> this should not be the takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody should be paranoid at all times. Oh, oh, we we got the book for you. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> also, we're... we live in 2022. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's mm. let's stay away from that. If only because I <laughs> let's, don't. Let's return to the wonderful world of Mistborn yeah. and lose ourselves in this much better world. Uh, yeah. So we we're getting a handle on things here. Uh, Vin is part of a a small gang or a crew of, of thieves uh, and they make their living uh, through crime. Um, in particular, this is, there, there's probably all manner of, of 
thievery and and criminal elements going on here um but they they reference a a scam a job this is i guess a little bit more romantic i guess you know this is this, this is not muggings and breaking a window this is you know this is a heist yeah it's a it's an elaborate months long con yeah, a con is the word I kept thinking of. Like, you're saying thief, and I, that does apply, but that almost feels reductive in terms of, like, the level of work going into the the two separate jobs we've seen uh, uh, Vin and Kemon do. Um, you know, obviously she's not in a good place, but, like, yeah, she's she's part of, like, a whole operation, which, which is... Um, you know, it, I don't know. It's an interesting place to have the starting point for your for your hero. So we uh, we we get our look around the crew. Uh, we have our first mention of Reen, uh, with Vin uh, thinking to herself that uh, she will never be free, and Reen made certain of that when he left. Uh, so that's a, a, a <laughs> yeah, character. Caleb, you loved. Good older brother dynamics. Yeah, huh? I'm real. I'm really. Ex- I'm really excited for this really wholesome older brother <laughs> uh, character that's being built here. It's going to be great. <laughs> Brave Serene ran away. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah, we meet Cayman, uh, who is the the leader of this crew uh, and the the one in charge of this scam. Uh, and he's also not a great person. Uh, he beats Vin somewhat frequently, apparently. Um. And then Vin uses some luck. Um, so what was what was your take on this, uh, Sam and, and Caleb? Uh, I th- well, I mean, we get some some explanation yeah, of it pretty soon. Well, luck is her using alamancy without realizing it, and I think it's zinc. Okay, hit me with an interesting okay. right. I don't know, but uh, I I think that's just like what she calls it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's interesting that she knows like. That she knows that she has a finite amount, that she knows how much she has to use, mm-hmm. and also that she knows that it like regenerates, but she um, doesn't actually know the terms for it or exactly what it does or or how it regenerates. But but she's figured some of this out. Right. Yeah. It's it's very very interesting the the organic learning that clearly she's not privy to this knowledge, but she's gained it just by existing within it i guess Mm -hmm. uh one of one of the things in the annotations that i find uh super interesting is that uh, he says that in one of the early drafts of of this book uh cayman was a little less competent uh on screen at least uh and vin had this kind of inner monologue of of critiquing him and and pointing out places where things could go better uh, and he said it was it was trying to show that she's a she's a very intelligent person and she picks up on these things quickly, um, but the end result was that it it made Cayman less threatening and less impactful, so he had to dial that back a bit. But there there definitely is still an element that Vin is, I mean she she's surviving in a a shitty situation and and she's got some smarts to to help her out with that. I was going to point that out too. She, every room, and as a result of the paranoia, perhaps, every room she gets in, she reads so well. And she knows Cayman, she knows what his moods are, she knows when to literally push her luck. And 
<laughs> you can easily see how she's stayed alive this long. But it's it's also nice because, you know, she's a street rat, essentially, which archetypically not considered very intelligent. And right off the bat, you see she has exactly the kind of smarts she needs for this situation. So then we get into the job itself. This is what what Cayman is trying to do. Uh, we learn that he has teamed up with a, another uh, another thief, another con artist of this sort uh, named Theron, uh, and they are they're running a scam. Uh, they are going to try to to land this contract uh, to to do some some transportation. Uh, and then we'll be able to to perpetrate uh, robberies and skimming off the top and all sorts of other stuff like that. Um, and and this is what they're going to do. And I believe they mentioned that uh, Theron actually brought Cayman in uh, specifically to to do this part that we see, which is to to play the part of a uh, a minor nobleman. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh... Also, that you know, Theron did. It seems like a lot of the legwork in Cayman is just kind of, hey, I'm here now. Yeah, he's he's not. A, I don't know. He's not a great person. Like we haven't seen him much, but um, and I I believe Vin mentions that some she thinks that some of his success in in his ability to portray a nobleman is the fact that he's just really arrogant, and that's what they associate with the 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 nobility. So he and he's just a natural at that. <laughs> Play to your strengths. Yeah, but Vin is is along on the on the job, um, because whether Cayman knows or not exactly what's going on, um, Vin thinks that that he's made the the connection that when she's around things go a little better. So so she's here for this, even though she doesn't really have a a specific part to play. Uh, and we get to see this this play out. We meet uh, Prelin Laird, uh, who is a uh, a senior bureaucrat in the ministry's Canton of Finance. So, so this world has bureaucrats and ministries and and all that sort of. Uh, there's there's quite a there's quite a society here. Now you know it's evil. Yeah, they do live in a society. Damn it! Well, it's it's interesting to see, looking at even just the, the the prologue in the first chapter. You know, we have kind of medieval serfs working in the field and in like wooden huts and whatnot. Um, but Lord Tresting checks a pocket watch, and we have we have a ministry we have a ministry with you know senior bureaucrats. So there's a there's kind of a a bit of a pile up here of of time periods and, and tech, but, and I also, I really like the, the, the visual description of, um, Prell and Laird and, and the other obligator. We saw this in the prologue as well, um, where they have their, their head is shaved and the, they have these very detailed tattoos all around their eyes, which is, I think a really cool visual. And I like linking tattoos to like, we get into this a little bit more of, of the importance of these people seems to be tied to quantity of tattoo, which I think is also very fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in, in chapter two, 
uh, we meet Hyprel and Ariev, who has even more tattoos. <laughs> For a while, I was like, how could this scam possibly work? How would they think Lord Jedi was real? And then I remembered the internet doesn't exist. <laughs> if someone shows up with the proper documents, you're like, ah, you do exist. Man, I gotta tell you, as a guy who works tangentially in insurance, the stuff he was saying would work against you when you're trying to to negotiate a contract his, his argument oh on, we're, we are really desperate please we will devote everything to you please god yeah. uh yeah but this is our last chance it's even weirder because then he turns it around and is like okay but if we give you the stuff you won't be able to get back on your feet and he's like oh well once you give us the money then we'll take other contracts but for right now we're super desperate so you should definitely hire us yeah i thought that was so like it, the the whole draw is that they'll be your only focus and then once you get them they okay i don't know whatever yeah it's it might not be <laughs> the best argument but vin is also vin is is using her luck which she, the way that she understands it um makes people less just kind of less emotionally uh and so what she's trying to do here is is make Laird less suspicious, less uh, inclined to to keep digging. And Laird eventually says yes, or at least we're still thinking about it. Quick side note, I really love that they capitalize luck whenever Vin uses it in that particular matter. It's her luck. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you got some great important capital letters. Because one... It helps sort of distinguish it, just literally reading it as a thing. Two, of course if you were a teenage girl and you were a little bit magic, you would give it a dramatic capital name. I love it. Oh yeah, no, this, this is definitely the way that she thinks about it. Uh, I was actually reading a uh, a note from Brandon. I think it was a, it was a Q&A on one of the, the more recent Cosmere books uh, where somebody was asking him about the, the concept of identity which shows up in a, a couple of books with a capital I. Um, and he was talking about how he has to be very clear with his copy editor um, because sometimes he does just mean lowercase I identity as, as you know, someone thinking about themselves or, or something like that. Uh, but capital I identity is also a meaningful term and he has to make sure that, that those stay capitalized. God, could you imagine being his copy editor? <laughs> the sheer quantity of words that you have to check for shit like that. It's unreasonable. It's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, though, looking at, you know, this this was Brandon's second published book. Um, you know, he was certainly not the, the juggernaut that he is now. But at this point, he's he's basically running, like, a production company. Like... Yeah. Um, Isaac, who did the the art for the maps, the when this book originally came out, those that would just be a freelance thing. He he contracted Isaac to draw some maps, and that was that. Um, but Isaac is now full time staff as Brandon's art director. That's awesome. It, yeah, no, it's it's really cool. Um, Dragonsteel Productions is the or Dragonsteel Entertainment, I think. I think is their company, and and they have. Brandon's writing staff and whatnot, and then they also have, um, like, marketing and and 
fulfillment for merchandise and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a whole project now. Very bureaucratic project, much like the Canton of Finance. Perfect segue. We're back in the book. You're welcome. So back we go. So chapter two, we are, we're back to Kelsier now, uh, which uh, I don't know. I, I can't remember when I read this the first time. Um, but there, there is, I guess, a chance that the characters we met in the prologue, we might just not see again. Um, but Kelsier is back now and, and this kind of establishes him as someone who we are going to follow. And not only is he back to us, but he's back to Luthadel, which is a place that he knows. And he's taking a look around and, uh, has his own thoughts on it and also thinks it's, it's not a great place. And then we, uh, we get our our next new character we have this this meetup between kelsier and Doxon. uh i like dox i'm probably going to keep saying that about most of these characters we meet <laughs> turns out they're fun characters <laughs> who brandon writes well yeah uh but we yeah we we get a good uh, a good friend reunion here with uh with kel and and dox they're planning their own heist <laughs> heists abound put together a crew it's all around we also do get mention of uh, Kelsier's brother, who I have hope might actually be a fun uh, uh, brother dynamic. Um, clearly, they're not like best friends. There's some sort of distance between them at this point. Um, but uh, it looks like uh, Kelsier will be headed out to go try and rope him into the operation. And I'm excited to see how that dynamic plays out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, Sam, you mentioned there is, a, there is another heist and another crew gearing up here one of the other things that that inspired this book brandon has said was doing a fantasy heist story so that that is a thing that we're going to to get to see and so so kel is is talking with docs about gathering up a crew we get a couple of other names dropped uh breeze and ham will be there of course trap they wanted to get in what touch about with, trap but trap oh, is no. super dead ah beans I when I was writing my uh my notes for this uh so there's a uh text adventure Lord of the Rings game um and in it when you move to a new zone it'll be like you are in X you see Y you are with blank and blank and blank um and if you kill somebody who you're traveling with then it'll say blank and then parentheses who is dead <laughs> and then go on to the next character. <laughs> so I wrote, so, I wrote so trap who is dead. Who is dead. <laughs> Defining characteristic. Yeah. We've, we've got breeze and ham and, and trap who is dead. And then there's the great line where they're, they're, they're trying to find another smoker, which is another capital term that we don't know yet. Uh, Doxon suggests a man named Ruddy. Kel says uh, he's a good smoker, but he's not a good enough man. Uh, and 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 Doxon says not a good enough man to be on a thieving crew, which I I like the the dynamic that we're building up here. It's a really good dynamic, and it's also interesting knowing that we have seen Kelsier burn someone's house down and kill everyone inside. So for him to be the one being like, no, I have a moral code. We can't work with Ruddy. Um, it's just it, you can just see there's lots of layers being added on onto Kelsier already by chapter two. Mm-hmm. We get mention of clubs who is not dead, um, but is apparently apparently kind of a pain to work with. Uh, but he might be in. Uh, one of Clubs' relatives, who might be a, who is a tin eye. Yeden, who hopefully is still interested, as he is the one paying them. 
And then Caleb, like you mentioned, maybe we've got Marsh. Uh, Marsh is Kelsier's brother. Uh, and apparently there's some some sort of tension going on there. I also really like the line, I was going to go and chastise my prude of a brother. I just, Which... I enjoy when siblings are written well, and that's the kind of, like, gentle teasing, but ultimately loving shit that I love. Yeah, we're, we're only, Beth and I are only, like, three or four hours into it, but that very much reminded me of uh, two brothers from Final Fantasy VI. Um, Good game. Which, like... It's not the it's not the exact same dynamic uh, as those two, but it's You're just. You're on your own. <laughs> but it reminded me of yeah that kind of playful dialogue um, between two brothers. Yeah, I thought that was that was uh, done well as well. Also, looking into the future, if I was going to be gently making fun of Marsh, I don't know if prude is the word that I would use. Like, not that he's not one, but like, <laughs> there's other adjectives that I think you could pick. Yeah. Yeah, that's just <laughs> But okay, okay, Cal, that's that's what you think. <laughs> Make your choices, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> okay, you. I'm going to cut that. Did out. you lean into the mic to say that? Sure did. Oh yeah. <laughs> nice. Doxon has has promise of of something else to see and and we will see. Uh, in fact, we do see because the they're going to end up in this scene very shortly later, but now we're back with Vim, uh, and the scam continues, and it turns out that there is a scam on top of the scam. Uh, as we we see very shortly, Cayman has decided that maybe the he thinks the scam is a little bit too tricky for them to pull off, or maybe he's just being greedy, but he's going to take what he can and run now. So they have headed off uh, to the Canton of Finance. And uh, it's, this is just like a brutalist building. Well, I guess it's got a, it's got, it's got a big window, but it's tall and blocky. It's like dark. It's a spooky place. So yeah, this is, this is a, a double cross here. And like Sam, you mentioned, maybe this is one, the one case where Vin wasn't paranoid enough because she didn't see this 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 early of a double cross coming. I think she said maybe it it one of them would have tried to stab each other in the back later, but came in just decided to do it immediately. Just get over with. <laughs> yeah. Stab him in the well, back as soon as you can. I mean, like, yeah, it seems like a stupid decision until Vin makes the observation of like, well, yeah, Theron might have betrayed us at some point. And at that point, it's like, no, actually, maybe there is merit in just, you know, quitting while you're a little bit ahead if you know that you might get screwed later on um like it's obviously been established that Cayman is very selfish and very much looking after himself um but we haven't really seen him be clever up until now and as as like as douchey of a move as it is to do the double cross so soon based on Vin's observations there is a little bit of like maybe that was actually the right move it's a little unclear at this point but um there's there's a little bit there of oh Cayman actually he's he's thinking for himself a little bit too and might not just be the the dumb pushover jerk boss that mm -hmm. he's been so far I I don't know what the exchange rate is for boxings to dollars but I feel like walking away with 3000 bucks is it's like Going on, who wants to be a millionaire and taking the first check? 
I believe it's a, there's they, a classic. I believe they mention at some point, and we'll we'll get to it. I think pretty soon, they mention a like days of wages comparison, and I don't remember the exact numbers. Uh, but I believe that this is a this is a reasonably healthy sum. Like this would be probably a couple of tens of thousands of dollars, maybe. Oh, all right. Plus, I think they also make the point of Cayman wiping Theron out as a potential right. rival. Right. Oh, well, yeah, there is that, yeah. Which can't be quantified. Strategic. Some things have... Or, you can't put a price on betrayal. But I just... When I was reading the scene, I felt like um, th- there's a SNL skit with Will Ferrell um, where he's on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and he gets the $100 question right, and... You know, and just walks uh, away. Regis Philbin. Regis Philbin is like, all right, now on to the next question. Will Ferrell's like, nope, I'm good. Just write me a check. <laughs> Hundred bucks. That would offend me uh, as anyone else in the room. <laughs> yeah. I'd like jump out of the audience and be like, you sit your ass back down. <laughs> I paid for these tickets. I paid more for than you just won. <laughs> Wait, don't they just bring on more contestants if it doesn't fill the... Ep- you still they do, get to yes. see more show. Yes, they do. <laughs> it's the principle of the matter. I don't know. Exactly. I, if I was like, oh, hey, here's a job where I could get 3000 bucks, and if I keep going with it, I might get $0. I might just take the 3000 bucks. I don't know about you guys. I might get $0 and die. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take I'll take the 3000 Thank you. So, yeah, we, we now we meet uh, High Prel and Ariev. Uh, he of the even more tattoos. Uh, and Ariev basically has came and do the whole spiel again. Uh, and I'm wondering, because um, I don't think, I, I read this book very quickly when I read it the first time. Uh, I don't think I realized that Ariev knew what was going on. Because I, I think it's it's pretty clear by the end that Ariev is, is baiting Vin into using her luck but i i don't think i realized that until afterwards i picked up on it i mean i didn't know that they could sense allomancy yet can he sense it or does he just realize i guess it's six one half stuff than the other but it could be he's actually like magically sensing it somehow or it could just be that he knows what the effects look like well same sort of thing but like they they do say that obligators are trained to detect the, the use of metals so maybe it maybe it is just like I, you know whether sensation or I- inferring hey something's weird here right yeah but vin and Cayman do not realize this and they fuck up yep um they they don't quite <laughs> to realize vin's credit Vin does, it, by the end of the scene, she is like, something is not right here. Like, she does have a very bad feeling about mm-hmm. it. She knows something is wrong. She just hasn't picked up on what. Right. Uh, and so then we we cut back to Kelsier, who is being obnoxious and stealing snacks. It's literally just hang out in the lobby of the ministry. Yeah. That's so much. <laughs> and the, the first little repartee. <laughs> I, I like the mundanity of the fact that this ministry building has a lobby with a receptionist and snacks. Like this, this feels like like it's a car dealership or something. And that's the the first thing on Kelsier's mind too. <laughs> we cut back to them. Doxon's like, "Well, what do you think?" And he just reviews the snacks. 
but uh, yeah, it it turns out that the the thing that that Doxon wanted Kelsier to see uh, was was Vin was these two know what what was going on, uh, and apparently Doxon explains that that Cayman had had a run in with Marsh a couple months back, uh, and marsh tipped Doxon off so some people around here know what's going on whether Cayman or vin know yet to be seen but but some people around around this environment have caught on and kelsier is is intrigued by this but he's not the only one intrigued by this because a, a few pages later we meet just a really calming presence in the form of a yeah. steel inquisitor yeah, Kelsier also gets intrigued by the uh, Silent Hill boss fight that seems to be coming up soon. Yeah, so uh, it starts off as just another escalation. Still bald, still more tattoos. And then you get to the giant metal spikes rammed through each of his eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's really weird. In fact, I believe they go all the way, yeah, from the back of the man's clean-shaven skull. The spikes go all the way through the entire head. Yeah. And he's just sort of fine with that. Yeah, he's just chilling. <laughs> he's just walking around. Mm. So we we get absolutely zero detail on the Steel Inquisitor, other than that it's very bad news. I think we also get, we do actually get a hint as to whether or not um, they have just a vibe check or like an actual radar sense. Because Kelsio's first thing is, I'm not burning anything. He'll think we're just ordinary noblemen. Which like... Uh, playing enough D&D, it's like if you know you're getting into a combat soon, you start prepping your, your prep spells, and the fact that Kelsier's choosing not to at this point indicates you know, I'd better not because they might figure it out, even if like he hasn't even said he's going to intervene at this point. That is a good point. So, so I, I, am in the, I am in the camp of they do have uh, magic radar. So Kelsier and Doxon uh, resolve to to take care of this problem as best they can. Uh, Doxon is going to take care of the the mundane uh, tales who are following Vin and Cayman. As he puts it, uh, I said I'd become boring, not sloppy. I can handle a couple of ministry flunkies, which I, I do like. Because e- even already, Doxon is, is kind of the the straight man to Kelsier's not comedy, but but magic. But he's still a, a capable person. Yeah. And then Kelsier uh, gets to uh, gets ready to to be a little a little showy as he is wont to be. Drinks a vial full of metals, uh, does a a bit of of magic, and then says, "Let's have a chase now, you and I." And off they go, and that's the end of our chapters. I love it. I love it so much. Let's have a chase now, you and I. Lives in my head. And pops back into my head in the most inappropriate situations. Like if I've been following someone for a while on the highway and I realize we're making the same exit. No, Beth. Please do not chase. Uh, I was going to say it reminds me very much of a specific line from Inception, which is a movie well, you know, it's not my favorite movie of all time, but I do love that movie very much. Um, uh, there's a point where most of the crew is going into a lower level of the dream and Tom Hardy's character is looking at Joseph Gordon-Levitt and is like, oh, the bad guys are going to be coming after you. And uh, uh, Arthur just looks down and goes, and I will lead them on a merry chase. And just gives this, this Joseph Gordon-Levitt grin and it's wonderful. 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Kelsey or cast, confirm. I didn't have that down, but now I'm now I'm reconsidering. <laughs> was that an actual intentional segue, or just? I, I I'm left the avenue open. As, I'm going to treat it as one. You're welcome. Yeah, one of the things that we thought would be would be kind of fun to talk about is we're in a world where fantasy literature screen adaptations are a thing that are becoming more common and some more successful than others. Uh, and Brandon has definitely been working on on what he can do for that. Uh, so some of us are TV or film enthusiasts. Some of us, like me, somewhat less so. Uh, but we thought, we'll, we'll think about what do these characters look like to us or, or who would who would play them, that sort of thing. So if anyone has any any very clear pictures of the characters that we've met thus far. Oh, I've got a list. <laughs> I made my list too. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we're going to have to like come up with a definitive cast list, so there maybe have to be some debates here and there. Um but uh yeah. That can be a end of end of book decision. Yeah, no, we can we can try <laughs> to, right, to break right. it all down. Uh, and this is absolutely a thing that, that people have done. Um, I know Brandon himself has said that uh, he doesn't usually have anyone in particular in mind. Um, one or two of his his short stories or side projects, uh, he will sometimes come up with uh, with a particular actor or, or character that has they've portrayed. Um, I believe there's one character in this book who we haven't met yet that Brandon has said that a common fan opinion is now one that he shares. He thinks that that would be a great idea. Uh, and I'll mention that when we get there. Um, but yeah, I'm curious. Uh, Sam, kick us off. Who do you got? Okay. Uh, so I I set out to list everybody that we've met. Um, and I'll read off the list that I have. Um, we've got Trusting, Kelsier. Um, I wrote a bunch of Ska that I'm kind of writing off because they ain't coming back. Um, which maybe is an interesting thought. I don't know. Rude. Um, Put some Vin. respect on Goodman Menace's name. <laughs> I'm sorry, Goodman. It's, I, yeah, I got nothing for you. Uh, and then there's Vin. And then I said Miscellaneous Thieves. Then Cayman, Theron, Laird, Doxon, and Ariev. Um, so... Uh, trusting, I already said Ron Livingston, which is the guy from Office Space. Um, I don't know why. Picture him like that. By the way, these aren't all going to be actors. Uh, for instance, I, I pictured Doxon as Dan Vogelbach. <laughs> I don't know why. He's a, he's a first baseman designated hitter for the Pirates, for the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> of course. Um, and he's just, he's like, he's chubby muscle. I don't yeah. know. It's funny, you, you so mentioned I, that to me, uh, and I had completely forgotten. I just skimmed over the, the line of Dox's physical description and didn't pay attention to it. And I always pictured Doxon as a, a skinnier guy. And then you, you mentioned Dan Vogelbach. I was like, really? And then I, I when I was rereading, I was like, oh, yeah, they, they do say that he's he's kind of a bigger guy. Yeah, so... Toxin is Dan Vogel. There we go. Noted actor, yes. Dan Vogelbach. Perfect time um, to break into the right. biz. So, Kelsier, um, gosh, I don't know. If I were doing like a live living person, I guess I'd say Matt Smith, just to 
to to tweak the nerds out there it'd be, it'd be the, the the former dr matt smith interesting um let's see uh vin i pictured as rooney mara uh which is the girl with the dragon tattoo person i can um, see that scratching these off as i go uh came in i pictured as ed sheeran <laughs> just the it's That's the fantastic. it's the cheeks it's, yes. the, it's the cheeks Sorry. and the hair Ed Sheeran for Cayman. Sam, we'll see ready cheeks. And we'll say, is anyone going to cast Ed Sheeran as that and not wait for an answer? Um, let's see. Theron, I said, uh, one of my favorite actors, Patrick Fugit, who's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, he's a, kind of an indie darling, but uh, look him up. He's cool. Uh, Ariev, uh, you know, Caleb's going to talk about this in his casting. We, we talked like very briefly about this. Um, there is a, a, a button that has to be pushed at some point in the story. and You don't want to push it too early. And that button is the Willem Dafoe button. <laughs> it's a very important and, button. And I don't know if I should push it for Ariev yet. I don't, I mean, maybe Ariev will, will disappear in like 10 pages. I don't know. You know, you got to give Willem Dafoe the proper amount of screen time. Um, yeah, for... we're gonna have to revisit this, by the way. In every every time we meet a new batch of characters, enough to to talk about this, have we found the place to push the Willem Dafoe button? <laughs> right. Yes. Right. But when it, when you push it, if... you can't take it back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the that's the problem. It, like like Willem Dafoe is like the main one we're gonna be talking about for today. But like, you know. I have all these great actors that I'm excited to see in the world, but I'm scared that I'm going to put them on a character that dies five pages later. Um, and of course, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, we got to save him. Is Arif going to be the main bad guy of our book? Is he only going to be in the next two chapters? Because yeah, we can't waste Willem Dafoe. He, he simply he simply cannot be wasted. So he's a precious resource. I'm going to go ahead and spoil this one for y'all. We never see Ariev again. Oh no! Then all I right. won't push the button. That's we're not pushing the button. <laughs> And then the instead, list. instead I'll I'll spoil uh, Mr. Eyebrows himself, Will Poulter. Um, he's if you don't want to Google his name, you can just Google actor I, eyebrows. eyebrows. He man. is the person who comes up. Um, uh, hang on though, because I do like Will Poulter. I feel like if we're going to eventually do the entire Cosmere, we're gonna start running out of actors. So I feel like we could probably say Will Poulter for some other time. I feel like you need to put in another baseball player for a reef. <laughs> I, I, you know, I feel like you're probably right. Um, I guess I'll think up a different baseball player. Um, All right. While you're going through I can't do it on the fly. MLB rosters, uh, Caleb, what do you have? Okay, so I, I actually, I, I am now looking back. I'm wondering if Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be a good Kelsier. I, I, I think that would actually work pretty well from what we've seen of him so far. But that was not my initial thought. Uh, my initial thought was actually uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Um, the just basic description we got from him, uh, the kind of always smiling aspect of it. I actually I wasn't even thinking about Harry Potter. I was actually thinking of uh, how to succeed in business without really trying. Um, just kind of that, you know, the, just a winning smile to every person he meets. Um, and, you know, just some of the other, like, smaller projects I've seen him in. He can um, do dark. He can, he can do dark. He can do dark and can do really intense. Um, so uh, that was my first thought. Um, he can also do guns akimbo. He can. Sure can. He can you know? do he bad can, shit crazy. 
And I would, f- I, I love your choice there. Yeah. Because, yeah. Actually, because you can do both. I'm, I'm going to um, interject one before we get back to your list. Um, talking about the, the unfortunate realities of characters being typecast. I think actually Dan Radcliffe would be a really interesting choice if it were not for the fact that everything he's ever in, he's Harry Potter. Like it or not. Um, oh well, kind of. I mean, I guess I mean, he, in terms of like it being a cultural cornerstone, it's impossible to not see him as that. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, that that's what I'm saying is, and that that's like I think why he's been doing a lot of kind of off the wall, very very strange roles. Uh, Swiss Army Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because. I so I don't watch a lot of movies or TV, so I'm not going to have a lot to to contribute in some of these discussions. Uh, but one that is a, a a common fan request. Um, so Vin is tricky because um, I don't think oh, it's. Oh, I have a really good one for Vin. Uh, I don't think it's mentioned yet how old she is, other than that that she's a teenager. Um, she's about sixteen. Yeah, um, I think it is mentioned that she's 16. Which is is tricky for, for kids because you do need to find someone who is believably young enough. And at this point, I think um, Maisie Williams would be too old and also is too... It would be too hard for her to play Arya Stark and Vin essentially back-to-back. But Justin, I have the solution to your problem do waiting tell. as my second pick. Okay. Daphne Keene, who you all know as Laura from Logan, <gasps> I think You're would be an excellent You're so film. right. She was so freaking good in that movie. And she is still pretty young, and that is her only big role, so I don't think she has been into the... He, she's gotten to that typecast area yet. Um, I That is absolutely who I pictured from page one of uh, seeing Ben. I could see and it. Damn, can she do action yes no I, I like that a lot um yeah, yeah I, I think you know a couple of years ago i i would say the 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 Maisie williams um idea from the the fans was a pretty common one um but a lot of people acknowledged that um you know this this was i think season three or four ish of of game of thrones so one we knew that that game of thrones was going to keep going for quite some time and by the time that she had the 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 opportunity to play Vin, um, she might be a little too old. Um, and also, while Arya Stark and Vin certainly are not the same character, there are at least enough similarities that I think it would be distracting if if that's the way you did go. Uh, a few years ago, a top contender would be Maisie Williams, and I think a few years before that, a top contender would be Summer Glau, who is... Yeah, evidently Ooh. too old now, but <laughs> Daphne Keene is such a good choice. She is seventeen, according to Wikipedia. So book her now. Do you have any others on your list there? Um, yeah, a couple. Uh, I don't feel super strongly about them, um, but uh, you know, I think Ed Sheeran is a little goofy choice. We shouldn't be going with someone who's going to make us laugh. So for Cayman, I went with Danny DeVito. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did they establish age for Cayman yet? I don't, I don't know. I believe he's middle-aged. Yeah, I pictured him oh. as being on the older side, yeah. 
it's definitely not like this is not a a young gang. Vin is is notably on the younger side for for this group. <laughs> I pictured like a like an artful dodger. Yeah, kind of well, I guess it's crew of people. Maybe she's she's not. I I wouldn't say she's on the younger side because we do meet some some other people who are around her age but it's we meet the good boy Ulef who shows up for one whole sentence yeah um yeah no it I think it's it kind of you know probably like late teens through like late 20s is the the whole gang but not like teens and kids okay I just, I read, I read the, you know, there's a lot of talk of him like waddling around and whenever it describes him walking, it's clear he's probably on the more portly side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just that image of like this kind of, you know, this fake thief who's pretending to be really rich and wearing a bunch of glitzy rings. I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like DeVito could pull that off pretty well. Yeah. I picture like the penguin kind of ish, right? A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Thank and you then... for saying that, if only so that I can now picture <laughs> Danny DeVito and Daphne Keaton <laughs> in a scene together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Danny DeVito is going to gonna beat up Daphne Keaton's character. Yeah, it's I believe Daphne Keaton could and would kill Danny DeVito in real life. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think we can keep Dan Vogelbach as Dachshund. I actually did have a... a, a, a and this is probably another button that I might be pressing too soon. Um, for whatever reason, maybe it's just because I saw the Batman 2 recently. I actually pictured Jeffrey Wright. Um, that's probably a little too old for who Doxon is supposed to be. Um, but just that kind of like reassuring uh, uh, voice of reason, uh, kind of holding back Kelsier's more kind of cavalier mm. attitude um, was, was what I kind of pictured there. Yeah. I, th- I think he fits. I don't think he's too, too old. All right. So, so here's a a bit of a twist to to throw into things. Because um, I, I do think it would be interesting to talk about adaptations in general. Because um, I mentioned earlier that, that Brandon is, is working very hard on this. Um, the, the kind of mythical screen adaptations of the Cosmere have been in the works in some fashion for a long time but not with any particular distinct forward motion. Uh, And one of the more recent developments is that earlier Brandon had been very clear on that he didn't want to do the screenplay himself. He wanted a professional screenwriter who has that expertise uh, to be at least the lead on it. Um, But he he had since seen, I think, one or two treatments done in that way, and he wasn't quite satisfied with it. Uh, and so he wanted to see, could his knowledge of the world and his less screenwriting experience deliver a better uh, a better script than a professional screenwriter who doesn't know the world as well? Uh, so he has actually written a treatment of it himself that they are trying to to shop around. Hmm. Um, and one thing that because uh, he's made some changes for the the adaptation, uh, one thing that I think is, is kind of funny is when he started writing Mistborn, uh, he knew that he was going to have to be a little careful writing um, a teenage girl as the main protagonist. You know, he's a, he's a middle-aged man. He's, he's writing a, a teenage girl and he wants to not screw that up in the way that some authors have. Um, and so he, 
he finished the first book and he thought he, he kind of sat back and he thought, you know, I, I think I actually did a pretty all right job with that. Wait a minute. Nobody in the main crew is a woman except for Vin. Womp womp. So, mm. and which we'll meet the, the rest of the crew in, in a bit, but that unfortunately is true. Vin is the only significant female character in her group. Uh, and so when he started doing the screenplay, he said, well, I can change that. Um, and so was looking at uh, a couple of the crew members to to rearrange. And he actually, Dachshund was one of them that he said, I think you could have um, a, a woman play the character of Dachshund. Okay. And one of his other choices I disagree with, and I'll get into that later when we meet that character. But I think I think he should have gone with someone else. But we'll get to that. All right. Well, for next uh, time, I will then probably try to brainstorm uh, an actress for Dachshund then, because I think that's a that's a that's that's cool. Uh, my last thing on the list, uh, not a lot of specifics. I don't know how many different Steel Inquisitors we will be meeting, um, but uh, they must all be played by wrestlers. Uh, this first one I am assigning to Steel, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin himself. <laughs> I can't believe you predicted the scene where Kelsier goes, It's me, Steel Inquisitor! <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. You know, if we were going to go with wrestlers, I would say Steel Inquisitor should be the great Kali. Big, scary. Yeah. I well, mean, like I said, we might, be, we might be meeting multiple Steel Inquisitors, so there may be space for that later on. For more wrestlers. <laughs> we've, we've, pushed, we've pushed the Stone Cold Steve Austin button. Let's see what other buttons we can push. <laughs> oh. Also, hi. When Blake. we were talking, of, when you were talking about casting another baseball player as Hyperion and Ariev, my brain said Yadier Molina, and no one else will enter it. So <laughs> that's the hat I'm throwing into this ring. He's in. I mean, Yadi's gonna need a d- new job pretty soon. Aww. As a Cubs fan, good. As a person who respects <laughs> how much freaking baseball that man has played, yeah, I respect that's it. fair. Well, he gets to be in two minutes of the Mistborn adaptation, so good for yeah. him. <laughs> good for the real. I cast Laird as Steven Tobolowski, Um, because I don't care. Whomst <laughs> is that? <laughs> I do know that name. Uh, he's the he's the chubby guy with glasses that you see in every movie that requires a chubby guy with glasses who's balding. Oh, God. Who was... was oh. Yeah, I definitely have seen this guy before. An American character. Yeah, Silicon Valley. That's the main way I know him from, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, yep. Plays the guy in that, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Laird, I had no strong associations, and I kind of got the feeling that he was a throwaway character. Yeah, so. I also just did not cast anyone for Laird. I had a feeling this was the one time we yeah. were seeing him. No, we're not We're not going to see him again either. Hate to break it to you. Oh, no. Steven Tobolowski, I'm sorry. If it turns out Areev shows up for like a single page later on down the book, I'm rubbing it in your guys' faces that you forgot. Such an, such an essential character was part of this book. Okay, well, it's a good thing that the uh, wiki summary page lists every character who is in every chapter. So I can just go ahead and do a, a control F here. Nope, just once. We're safe. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Ugh. Well, it's good that we didn't press the Defoe button then. 
It remains in the chamber. So we have been talking about this, you know, this cast list, um, and it definitely is a. I think we've kind of been operating under the assumption that this would be a, a film, um, but it is it is an open question of of what kind of adaptation would you want for this kind of a for this kind of book, uh, and especially I think this has been reopened um, with I haven't seen it personally, but the the recent success of uh, Riot Games' Arcane series with uh, a, an adaptation that is done with some really stunning 3d animation so there's definitely oh, options God, open now, now we have to think of voice actor casts <laughs> i i don't think we need to go quite that far but you know it, it's it's a thing to to think about i think the if you surveyed the fandom as a whole i think mistborn among any of of brandon's properties is the one where what people would most want to see as your kind of very traditional two and change hour long big movie Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's there's definitely other there's other things that would work i think better as a a a series or an animated show or something like that yeah i think some of the magic systems and some of the other books would probably translate better to animation but mistborn is well, rule of cool still decidedly applies. There will be flash, but it's a little less flashy. Mm-hmm. So I, I live action, I can, I can make. There's it work. also there's also just the fact that Skadriel, aside from a couple of notable exceptions, looks like Earth, and so you could actually have you know, filming on sets and on locations and whatnot, and you'd have to do some heavy cg work of course for things like the sky but you wouldn't have to build entire worlds from scratch i'm looking at you stormlight archives (laughs) yeah it's it's weird because um books are kind of like field of dreams if you build it they will come you write a book you'll find an audience like Mm -hmm. do whereas movies are like there's such a science now yeah that they you know carve into every every little aspect of it and how can we push this to a larger audience um they're a little incompatible i don't i mean i i first of all mistborn like this needs to be something (laughs) it's it's great as a book and the book is crying for an adaptation of some sort um but how to adapt it is indeed a, a, a tricky question. And I wasn't sold on it either. Um, you know, whether it should be animated movie or TV series or what, but um, I would say my only wish is um, stylize the CG. Okay. Don't go like full realistic. Cause when you go full realistic, you'll, you'll fall headfirst in the uncanny Valley. Like they kind of did with the, um, I don't know creature names. The bull creatures from Wheel of Time that were really the, weird uh, looking. The Trollocs. Yep, they were uh, in the in the uh, series. They just look weird and and not real at all. You know, so you got to have some style that you throw into it, um, as opposed to just trying to make it look like it exists. 
I don't know. I think that could be very interesting, especially with actually portraying the the magic on screen. Because when you're when you're in a book and when you're in characters' heads, you can say things like Vin used her luck. But you do need to you need you need to let the audience know that somehow. And I, I think you may be onto something where if you establish that this is a, a, a more stylized adaptation, you could use some interesting visual language to do that uh and it would it would actually work out you could use the jimmy neutron brain blast gif <laughs> that might be a step too far <laughs> it has been zero days since the jimmy neutron brain brain blast uh imagery has been referenced on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh reset the counter y'all yeah i know it ran long to wrap up the how do you adapt this point um something that i think i don't know if brandon is still on this uh this idea but one thing that that he has suggested is if he had his way uh the mistborn trilogy that we're, that we've just started would be adapted into a film a season of tv and a film for the for, for the the three books Huh. respectively mm-hmm. yeah. wow well marvel's kind of doing that <laughs> yeah no exactly that's it's this it's this interesting thing where um the the marvel cinematic universe has has started to open up a lot of doors in terms of connected storytelling across multiple films and also jumping back and forth between film distribution formats now, granted, you might need to be literally Disney to actually pull that off. Right. But, I mean, if you give it a few years, everybody will be literally Disney. So what does it matter? Yeah, either Disney or Warner Bros. Because you also got uh, uh, the Suicide Squad followed by the Peacemaker TV show, um, which was shockingly good. Um, starring another wrestler who may show up as a Steel Inquisitor later on down the line. <laughs> Like you got to be careful Juan with the John Cena. Cena button. That's a valuable one to push. John Cena button is also in the collection. Yeah. All right then. So I think that means that we've we've wrapped up most of what we wanted to to get through. Uh, the one thing that's left is what's coming next. Obviously, we don't have a lot to go on yet we you know we've we've seen some characters and we've seen some stories that may or may not be continuing into the future but uh caleb or sam do either of you have anything that you want to to put out there that you think we might see uh how far are we are we doing like babe ruth call the home run or are we calling like if the next pitch is going to be a strike Eh, your call go for it one or the other all right more like Dan um, Bogobach home run. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing in all the baseball. Um, I'm glad we don't have a counter for that because it would be reset every podcast. Uh, Multiple Beth is times. here too. It, yeah, it was going to be reset constantly. Um, I will say I don't think the Lord Ruler is going to die in this one, in this book. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of get the feeling that... Um, uh, an an easy route to take and a tele a route that is so telegraphed that I feel like it's probably not what's going to happen. 
I feel like um, in a, in a weird world, uh, Vin would kill the Lord Ruler, uh, Kelsier and Doxin and everybody else would 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 heist their way to overthrowing the whole thing. It'd be very Tolkien esque in terms of assembling a crew and going to take out the ruler. And uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But um, that's my 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 quick and easy home run call is Vin is going to kill Lord Ruler eventually. Okay, so you're you're going on the record that Vin will kill the Lord Ruler, but not in this book. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Okay. I need to start like writing these down so then I can I am <laughs> call doing you so. out. You oh. Beth, you have a link to the spreadsheet. I have good news. <laughs> this is all being recorded. That too. What? Oh no. I this whole time? Unfortunately, yes. I'm wearing a no wire. One told me. <laughs> all right caleb anything you want to state for the record oh i've got like a i've got i've got a jumble of thoughts some of which are theories and some of which are not i don't know like do we want to go back and forth sam do you have other stuff you want to talk about um i i don't know i just had the one like long shot thing and then kind of letting it ride for now i'll probably have more after our next block the floor is yours. Oh, by the way, hang on. Before we go, um, Ariev, uh, Sean Spears, you guys got me inspired by wrestlers. Uh, Sean Spears, I think, would be a good Ariev, and I would not mind throwing him away. So, All right. All right. Um, okay, so now is the time where you all get to experience what I call Attack on Titan Brain, um, which is the feeling of I'm just going to let my brain go wild with theories, and I'm going to warn you, most of them are probably going to be wrong based on my prior experience. But um, I love lore, I love analyzing lore, and I love just taking wild stabs. You are in the right um, place. All right. So if that's the case, we might as well start with the Lord Ruler. Uh, Sam, you're predicting that Vin will kill the Lord Ruler. Um Anytime a mysterious bad guy force is talked about a lot, but we don't ever actually check in on them, I start to suspect things. And one of my theories is that the Lord Ruler might actually already be dead. Um, and there is just kind of a vague, you know, power structure that is keeping things in place. Um, but something that I thought was really cool with regard to world building um, uh, very similar to Owl House, actually, and how they're always saying, like, oh, Titan, help me, and oh, my Titan. Um, but uh, a lot of people are referring to the Lord Ruler in the same way they would refer to God. Um, mm -hmm. the, even people who hate the Lord Ruler think to themselves, oh, Lord Ruler, help us, um, just as kind of like an offhand remark. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of deification of this figure um, is, is just really cool world building, but it also makes me think, if these people live in a world where that is so ingrained that the Lord Ruler is the be-all, end-all, then there is the opportunity that this is all just propaganda to extent. I'm sure there is some central figure in power who will turn out to be the main antagonist, but in terms of this mysterious old Lord Ruler who has been ruling over the Empire for who knows how long, um, I, I, am, I am suspicious that there might be uh, something, something off about that. Um, okay. So, yeah. That's that's my first big one. Um, There's a TV trope about that called Dead All Along. Dead All Along, yeah. I will 
neither confirm nor deny this, of course. I will say that in a story that Brandon has written at some point, this does happen. I, it, it may be this one. It may not be. He's written a lot of stuff. In a way, you are both confirming and denying. I, I suppose cool. you're right. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, so yes, I did read the back of the book, which does make reference to um, a thousand years ago, a hero tried and failed to save the day. Um, my big theory um, in that department is that um, the quotes we are getting at the beginning, the epitaphs I was referred to, um, are whoever that person was. Um, this is them talking about how, you know, they are the ones who are going to save the world. They have the ultimate power. Um, and uh, I don't know if we will find it out through the epitaphs or not, but uh, things do not go according to plan in that department. Um, that's all I got on that. Um, no theories, but mist wraiths were mentioned. They um, certainly were. I'm very curious. I'm very curious what those are and whether or not I will be able to steal them for D and D at some point. Um, that's another thing, though. That like that could also be kind of fake propaganda because Kelsier clearly doesn't really fear the mists at all, or at least he was bluffing about it. Um, and we also have like the mists show up, but Tresting is still willing to get his men out to go grab uh, the, the girl from the village. So clearly Tresting doesn't, isn't too worried about what's lurking in the mists. Um, and then obviously just from the title of the book, we know the mists are going to end up being important at some point. Uh, Kelsier mentions mistings, which might be like the word for people who use the metals. So the mist might be connected in some way to how the magic works. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if there will actually be monsters in the mist or if that's just more propaganda to keep the ska out, which, hang on, connecting dots actively as I'm talking, um, Kelsier is worried about nobles having children with ska um, and also wants to make sure the ska don't go out into the mists. So that leads me even more to believe that uh, who this control over Allomancy is in fact caused by um, the mists. Um, so that is uh, that. Um... A theory that got shot down very quickly um, was for a while, I was just, just because I've heard so much about Sanderson and I'm on my lookout for like, ooh, is there going to be a cool twist here? Um, I was wondering if there was going to be actually two different timelines happening and that Kelsier and Vin were actually not going to be connected at all. And you're meant to think it's happening concurrently. And then there's a reveal that, oh, actually Kelsier was like 20 years ago and he's dead now. Um, That's but, uh, by... but But then he's, then he's across the room. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I was, yeah, I was like, oh, I guess that's 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 not what happened. Um, one of my favorite movies, which I won't say because it would be a spoiler for the movie, but it does deal in like you think two things are happening concurrently, and then it turns out that there's actually a difference in the timeline that kind of turns the whole thing on its head. And I just really love that concept, and so I, I was curious if that would happen, but no, that's not what happened. Um, we get mention of the ash mounts, which are also on the map. I am just kind of assuming those are volcanoes because they appear to be giant mountains that spit out ash. Um, and it is very curious to me that there is a civilization in the middle of a ring of volcanoes. I just think it's very... I, I don't know if Sanderson will ever even get into it because I don't think it's actually going to be important to the wider plot. But it's very interesting to think about the history of how an empire would be founded here and how civilization would find a way to thrive here. 
I'm very curious what the world looks like outside of this this uh, little mini world map we're getting. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just I just find that interesting. I don't actually have any big theories about that. Um, yeah, that's mo that's most of what I've got. Um, yeah, I think I think that's all I got for now. All right, then I have some things on record, and we will see how interesting they are. We're going to calculate your stats. I definitely am going to save audio clips of some of these and near the end of the book we will we will see what uh, what got called, how early it got called and what was completely off base. Yeah, you will, you will embarrass me uh, in in many degrees. Again, judging from my experience in Attack on Titan, um it's it's easy to get a theory right if you throw out ten theories at once. Um, so I, I am I am very much expecting that I will eventually catch on to something. But for now, I'm just grasping at strings, and I'm I'm well aware that a lot of the things I'm saying are probably completely off base. But we'll see. It makes it a lot of fun for Justin and myself. Either way, I will say. Yes, it does. <laughs> All right, I think then that will do it for our first episode of There's Always Another Podcast. Uh, for our next episode, we are going to be going through chapters three, four, and five. Uh, it's a bit of a bigger chunk compared to this one, but I wanted our episode breaks to line up with the ends of the sections in the book. So chapters three, four, and five are our next chunk. Uh, we'll certainly see some developments there. Uh, we will be recording uh, a couple of these and getting them all lined up to go before we actually get them onto the internet so we are talking to you across time if you're listening to this now uh, but we do appreciate you listening uh, and if you want to let us know what you think about it or uh, what which of our crazy predictions you're super excited to to hear uh, you can shoot us an email at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, we will take a look at those, and uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, but I should have come up with that, a shorter name. Nah, it's fine. It's a clunky email. <laughs> I, did, I did have one note, actually, about the title of the podcast. I just wanted to say, like, you know, Sanderson, is, it's, it's very difficult to get into these massive, massive books, and I just wanted to say I really appreciate you guys making the podcast more accessible to people. Um, by choosing to not have it to have anything to do with Sanderson, and in fact making a reference to the hit film National Treasure, in which uh, there's always going to be another clue, and that clue will lead to another clue. <laughs> and that's uh, all there will it's, ever be! It's, it's really cool of you guys to, to go that, that route with the podcast title. Yeah. So, exactly. So obviously there's a Nick Cage button, too, at some point, right? Oh, yeah, uh, but we really a Justin Bartha button, too. <laughs> That one we are gonna waste on some some character who only shows up for two pages. He's by Kelsey or cast. <laughs> oh wow, that would actually kind of work though. Oh, <laughs> uh, now I gotta rethink everything. We should do an April Fool's episode where we just review National Treasure. <laughs> All right, folks, we're gonna take this one home. Thank y'all for listening. <laughs> we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.